Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth podcast. My name is Tom Jamison. I am a former lawyer who moved to Duluth about seven years ago after I bought a business here called Lake Superior Medical Equipment, hanging up my lawyer hat after 25 years. Joining me as co-host of this podcast is a lifelong Duluthian, a registered nurse, and the marketing director for Lake Superior Medical Equipment, Yvonne Myers. So why did we start a podcast called For the Love of Duluth? Because we love this town and the interesting people, places, and experiences that we continue to discover here. If you already live in Duluth, we hope this podcast will teach you things you never knew before about the place we call home. If you are planning to visit Duluth, we hope this podcast can act as a tour guide of sorts, giving you an inside look at the remarkable people, places, and things that make up our unique city. Duluth is a star of the show, and our guests help it shine even brighter. We hope you love this podcast as much as we love the city it's named for. This is Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth. It's no secret that northern Minnesota is picture perfect, especially the stunning city we name this very podcast after. From the glorious Lake Superior to all of the beautiful sights dotting the North Shore, finding some inspiration in our neck of the woods usually doesn't take much. Sometimes all you need is a car and a camera. A famous photographer once said that taking photos is to savor life intensely every hundredth of a second. It seems like every inch of the Northland is ready for its close-up, no matter the time of the year, making it the perfect place for passionate photographers of which which we have many. To stand out among them takes more than just a good camera. It takes an extraordinary ability to freeze a stunning moment in time. One of these standing above the rest is Ryan Tischer, owner of the popular Tischer Gallery in Canal Park. Born and raised in Carleton, he spent much of his childhood outdoors immersing himself in the nature and beauty we aren't known for. Between this upbringing and his first photography course he took in high school, a passion was born. Today, we are all reaping the benefits. As fate would have it, the first class was just the beginning of a long and impressive career. Ryan went on to attend the University of Wisconsin-Superior, earning a minor in photography, and entered his first art show in 2005 at just 20 years old. In 2008, he took part in 42 shows. He continues to do so then in the following years, becoming a rising star in the Minnesota art world and catching the eye of people all over the country. Things shifted in the best way in 2015 when Ryan was picked to be part of a special program, which earned him some space to share his work in a pop-up store in downtown Duluth. He was chosen again the following year, giving him the confidence he needed to make his own brick and mortar a reality. In 2017, he made a massive leap, opening Tisher Gallery in downtown Duluth, the perfect place to display and sell his award-winning art, which Ryan defines as fine art landscape photography. A few years later, the gallery made another major move, locating in the heart of Canal Park, right along the busy Lake Avenue. The spot is 2,400 square feet of gallery space, filled with Ryan's work in all different shapes, sizes, and formats, highlighting the beauty of northern Minnesota and beyond. The motto of Tisher Gallery, taking a piece of the North Shore home, and with photos like these, who wouldn't want to? So here to talk about his beautiful photos and gallery is Ryan Tischer. Ryan, thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. So we like to start at the very beginning, Ryan. Can you tell us about your upbringing and where you were born and raised? Sure. Yeah, I was born and raised in uh, Carlton, Minnesota, kind of rural out, you know, in the country. Um, 
my parents are very much outdoorsy people to this day. And when I was younger, we'd go on a lot of camping and fishing trips. And so that kind of exposed me to the outdoors at a very young age. Cool. You know, um, I love Carleton. For those who aren't familiar with the area, Carleton is a town about, what, maybe 20 miles south of Duluth. And it is absolutely beautiful. And you can get there. You can bike there from Duluth if you want on the Munger Trail. And uh, it's also... uh, sort of an entry point to the Jay Cook State Park, which is absolutely beautiful. Now, I'm going to guess that you spent some time in Jay Cook growing up. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, aside from Jay Cook, it, by the way, and I know I, I should uh, just uh, make sure our audience realizes uh, I'm, I appreciate your work. I've really enjoyed looking at your work and we actually invested in your work because uh, as we showed you, we're, we are recording this podcast in at uh, Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Uh, our Duluth store and uh, we've got our show floor uh, dotted with pictures uh, that you took of uh, mostly uh, things in Duluth uh, including uh, Lake Superior and the lift bridge and ships and it's all very cool but I want to talk a little bit more about about uh, about Carleton and what it was like to grow up there because I think it's a fascinating town. That's mm-hmm. very historical. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was a very small school. I think our class graduated about 45 kids. Um, but it was a, it was a good uh, school to go to. It was a good town to grow up in. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a pretty good upbringing, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's uh, I bet it was. I'm envious already because uh, I would have loved to have gone to a school that I could have uh, possibly been one of the top 45 students in the in my class. Uh, never quite managed that, but I went to bigger school. But that would have been that would that would have been great. Uh, you know, kind of a point of pride. So, uh, what, when did you graduate high school? I graduated Carleton in 2004. 2004. Okay. So did you go right on to uh, college after that? I did. Yeah. I even took a few uh, college courses when I was in high school. Um, and then I went to UW-Superior uh, that next fall after I graduated. So I started right away. And so uh, you said that your parents were really outdoorsy. So you went on a lot of fishing trips, camping trips. Where did you go besides, did you stay mostly around uh, the the North Shore and the northern Minnesota? Or did you go all over? I would say most of the trips were probably up at the Gunflint Trail area. So around Grand nice. Marais and, nice. and you know, further north from there. And then some other trips, you know, some more locally stuff than, you know, closer to Carleton and stuff. But the vast majority of it was up in the Gumflint Trail area. Up north, did you wind up going into the Boundary Waters then up there? Yeah, yep. Yep. I, w- I remember a few different trips going there as a child. And yeah, that was a great experience. I remember yeah. mosquitoes being pretty bad a few times. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And if you miss mosquito season, you often get the mm-hmm. black flies. But uh, it's it's still worth it because it's so darn pretty up, mm-hmm. up there. So uh, you took a photography class in high school. Is that where you sort of first got the bug? Yeah, I would say about then. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, being outdoorsy and then also I've always been a visual person. I just kind of have always had a, a little bit of a natural knack for composition. You know, that's just something that kind of comes natural to me. When did you first grasp that that comes naturally to you? Because I think that's one of the things that stands out in your photography. And that seems like that's something that's hard to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You sort of, your eyes either sort of have that or, or not. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of learn you had a knack for that? Um, well, I think when I was taking pictures along with everybody else in the class, and I don't know, some of mine turned out a little <laughs> bit better. I, I, I think that would be fair to say at that yeah, time. It, yeah. You, if you weren't like, if I was in your class, that certainly would have been the case. You would have said, yeah, Jameson, that's really not very good. I don't know what you were trying to do here, but um, this should not be your day job. But no one ever said that to you um, because you had this, this kind of knack for, for doing doing this so so even in high school you kind of realized hey you know I'm I'm kind of good at this Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um I first started when I was you know in like junior high or so. Me and my friends would make movies. Oh, really? You know, on the old uh, digital eight or whatever cameras yeah. we had going on there, and yeah. so that was the very first uh, introduction into that. Even before I started doing uh, still photography. Okay, someone after my own heart because we use Super Eight, you know, mm-hmm. movies back when I was a kid because I'm an old guy. But what kind of movies were you making? Just with your friends? Yeah, yeah, with my friends. You know, fifteen-year-old boys. So they were action movies. You right, know. right, right. Where did you did you ever try to do kind of like monster movies with uh, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I re- I remember I remember we did a couple of them featuring a, a Sasquatch. So. <laughs> And I assume one of your buddies played the Sasquatch. I, we all kind of did, depending on <laughs> who who was in the shot and who was available and who had to run the camera. Yeah. So did you wind up running the camera in a lot of these? Or at that point, um, were you all kind of equally novice at at, uh, at making movies? Well, my buddy Andy, he, he was the camera operator because he owned the camera and didn't want anyone <laughs> sure. else to touch it, which I totally get. Sure. Um, I was kind of more of the organizer, script writer, y- you know, and just by convenience. I ended up being the star most of the time. Not that I really wanted to be. It's just that there wasn't anyone else around to play it. So I did. Have you had an opportunity to go back and take a look at these these videos? Do they still exist? They still exist, but I need to find a working VCR first. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with that. Suppose you can, you can download them to a... Can't they burn them on... DVDs, but then you got to find a place to play a DVD, I guess. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 But well, anyway, so so that was kind of junior high Mm -hmm. Um, and you were just having fun goofing around as as kids do, but you were already kind of enjoying the whole video photography Mm -hmm. scene. Mm -hmm. So um, you took a class in high school and realized, hey, this still photography is kind of fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, at that time it was still film. So we were doing black and white film photography, uh, and that was really fun. And working in the dark room was a good experience too, because I hadn't done that before. That's interesting. So I hadn't really thought of that. So I was, I'm just trying to think when I got my first digital camera, which would have been probably late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. but in, in, at school, they would have been teaching you kind of the, the older method, right? Of actually using film. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, digital was still kind of, you know, coming into its own. It wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of professionals were still shooting film at that time because it was still higher quality. Oh, much higher. Right. I mean, now, now the phones have, you know, many, many times Mm -hmm. more, um, higher resolution than say the, the, the first digital camera mm-hmm. I ever had, which was just a camera, not a phone. But, um, but so that's, that's really good. I think it's important though, for photographers to get a grounding in that, in that method. Mm-hmm. Is your stuff all digital now? Yeah, I've been with my, my business stuff, my landscape photography, I've pretty much always shot digital. The only times I shot uh, film were uh, 
in high school, and then I had an intro to photography course in college. And so those two were film photography, but everything besides that and after that was all digital do you uh do you ever think you're missing out a little bit on some of the fun that photographers might have had or some of the creativity that photographers could have had in the in the just the process of developing in the dark room um in terms of like quality no uh, maybe, you know, there's something nostalgic about working right. in, the, in the chemicals and, you know, using the real, real light to expose things and everything. But, you know, to do one print in a dark room can take an hour or more, right. depending on how many, how many times you try to print right. it. Um, whereas, you know, in that time digitally, you could print many, many more photos out. Right. And they're all exactly the same. Right. You know, so you don't have to write down all your dodging and burning <laughs> yeah. and remember all the tricks you used to, to get uh, the right exposure on the paper. Right. Or breathe toxic fumes for hours on end. That too. <laughs> So I keep jumping around because I'm just, uh, I, I think this whole thing is fascinating. Um, and part of it is because maybe I just, I so don't have that touch, that that uh, eye for composition. So when I, when I see your stuff and I just think, well, this is, this is remarkable. This is remarkable stuff. But you you took a you took a photography class in college as well and then at some point you decided that you might try to make a living at this yeah yeah uh i minored in photography at uw superior i actually went i majored in uh communicating arts video production and so i thought i was going to become a a filmmaker movie maker which i really enjoyed but then i kind of discovered i kind of like to do things on my own and not have to depend on, on others and when you're working in video you know or film it's it's really a whole team effort right right um but i i enjoyed working you know on my own too and so yeah i minored in photography and and uh kind of fell into doing that professionally and so you know i think i'm sure there's lots of photographers out there that would love to sort of fall into something professionally but there's a lot more to it than that so so can you sort of take us on the journey from college mm-hmm. to you know getting the point where you felt confident enough that you could make a living at this mm-hmm. um well i was probably still in college when i started to really think about doing that for a living when i was in college i did a few smaller art fairs and i discovered that people would buy my work and that would kind of blew my mind that people would pay me to you know buy something that I enjoy right. making. And so um, it kind of once I graduated college, uh, I didn't know exactly what to do for a job, and I'd already been doing art fairs in previous summers. And so I decided now is the time to give this a go full time. You know, before you get older and have a lot more bills. To life pay gets and, more yeah, complicated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you remember what the first time you ever sold a photograph? What the photograph was of? I don't. No. No, I don't remember the first thing I sold. Um, probably. It might have been, actually, it might have been a picture of the Northern Lights. Oh, really? It might have been, yeah. Okay. And those are kind of tricky to, to take a picture of, aren't they? Um, They can be, yeah, if you don't know. You know, you have to have a tripod. And you right. have to, you know, preferably a faster lens and, and do longer exposures and, and, you know, know how to focus the camera in the dark and all that. Which obviously you did. You, you already knew all that. Um, and this was fairly early on, right? We're talking just shortly after college when you did your first art fair. Yeah, well, I was doing them in college. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, I was doing a few smaller ones. And then when I 
graduated, it would have been fall of 2007. Then 2008, I hit it hard. And I did, I think it was 42 shows in the course of a year. Wow, that's a lot. I did three shows in one weekend over the 4th of July. I still haven't (laughs) recovered. Uh, now you're you're starting to realize. So in these shows, you're showing your photography, and you're also trying to sell your photography, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it was starting to sell, and you were like, "Well, this could be this could be the the gig that I'm going to do for the rest of my life, or at least for a while, right?" Yeah. Yeah. I- I, um, there are worse ways to make a living. Yeah. What kind of camera, and let me back up because I don't know anything about cameras, but when you first started, except that they can get to be very expensive. So when you first got started in this, I assume you maybe weren't using the camera that you are now, or is, is that, uh, are you still using the same camera? No, different. Um, gosh, I've probably upgraded six or seven times since then. My first digital, real digital SLR was a Nikon D70. It was six megapixels. Okay. And uh, oh, cameras now are so much better than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it just blows my mind. But yeah. well, um, but even that, I think my first my first one was maybe three megapixels, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. So six was pretty good. And mm-hmm. now what are they? Um, well, my camera I have now, Fuji GFX 100s, is 102 megapixels. Wow, wow. And so. that one's a medium format, so it's more megapixels, but they're also bigger pixels because it's uh. It has a bigger image sensor on it than like your standard full frame DSLRs do. So now you're getting way over my head. So I'm going to pretend. Thank, <laughs> thankfully, our viewers can't see my deer and headlights look uh-huh. that I'm giving you right now. So talk about. Let's go back to that first camera you mm-hmm. had. So what did you were were you using that camera when you first started selling photography? I was. Okay, yep. so it was good enough to, to get pictures that you could sell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it still would be technically good enough. I just wouldn't be able to blow them up anywhere near as large as I can now. Right, right, right. So that, and that's really where that higher pixel comes in, that higher resolution. It's when you start blowing things up. Absolutely, yeah. Now you've got a camera that incre- has incredibly high resolution. It's got these bigger pixels. I I guess I kind of understand what you're talking about, but not really, but that would make sense. Bigger pixels would be better than smaller pixels, I guess. Uh, what does this What does this one allow you to do other than just blowing it up? Does it allow you to, to use faster film? What else does that higher resolution allow you to do? Um, well, I would say one of the major things with modern digital cameras... Forget and, film, by the way. I right. didn't mean faster film. Yeah, I guess you don't... It would be called the faster, ISO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, instead of film speed, no, it's, right. it's ISO, which used to be you know how you rated how fast your film was but right, now it just right. it's just a setting for how sensitive the image sensor is to light right and so can you sort of compare speeds from what you're talking about with digital to what you would have been talking about uh say with your uh, your first uh, kind of analog film cameras yeah i mean this the idea behind it is all the same it's just instead of having a film you have an image sensor that you know captures it instead right. of an analog process and so does the and the high resolution helps with that as well? Um, I would say the high resolution just has to do with sharpness, with clarity of okay. the image when you blow it up. Um, there are other things with the modern image sensors too, though, like uh, having a really high dynamic range, which basically means the ability to photograph a scene that is very high in contrast. So for example, um, you know, if the sun is coming up over Lake Superior and then you have some rocks in the foreground, the rocks are going to be much darker than the sun in the sky. Right. And so if you have a film camera, you're not going to have that same dynamic range, it's called, um, as you would with a digital camera. Is that a 
fairly new development for digital cameras? I mean, did they have to get get to a certain evolutionary point for the digital where that was actually possible? Or was that always a benefit to a digital camera, even one that had six megapixels? Um, I would say back when it was the Nikon D70, it probably had less dynamic range okay. than, than film did, you know, at that time. Um, but then, you know, as cameras have progressed and image sensors have have been developed, it's far surpassed film. I mean, it blows my mind, I think. Gosh, I want to say my camera will capture about 14 stops of, you know, contrast of light. And if, or exposure would be the word, you know, 14 stops. And I would say film, like if you're shooting like slide film was probably around six or seven stops. And what what is a stop exactly? Is that? Um, basically, it's a measurement of, you know, exposure. Right. You know, how bright or how dark the image is. Right. Right now, you're not going to see people doing a lot of photography with film anymore. Is that is that going to slowly become a lost art, do you think? Um, I think they'll, as long as they're still making film, I'm sure there'll be some some niche companies still doing that. And um, it's kind of more of a novelty right. now, I would say. I mean, I'm sure there's still some people out there shooting film, but you wouldn't be doing it for quality reasons. You'd be doing it because you enjoy it. Right, right. Like you say, the nostalgia mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's interesting. You know, all my photography right now, I hate to say it, is really through my phone. But do you always have a camera with you, or do you would you take a picture with a phone and and try to do anything with it? If, if you happen to have your, let's say you were someplace and suddenly this great idea for a picture emerges mm-hmm. and all you have is your phone, could you do something like that, or do you really just would you not even bother? Um professionally i wouldn't bother yeah you know if there were a beautiful sunset happening i didn't have my camera with my real camera and i just had my phone i would just kind of sit in a bench and enjoy it yeah okay like a normal person would right because it, they never show up in in your phone when you take a picture it's never it's never like what it was when you were actually looking mm-hmm. at it with your mm-hmm. eyes where you know i can look at one of your fo- photographs and think well that's exactly what i would have seen had i been mm-hmm. there I would have seen that mm-hmm. same view. So anyway, well, we will get more into this. Um, we are coming up on our first break. I can't believe that's gone that quickly. So uh, we're going to uh, take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Lake Superior Medical Equipment. And uh, then we will be right back uh, with Ryan Tischer. Lake Superior Medical Equipment is proud to announce some big news. They have opened two brand new locations. Nearly eight months after the fire destroyed their Duluth store and warehouse, the team at Lake Superior Medical Equipment has bounced back bigger and better than ever with a new storefront at 4730 Mike Colaleo Drive in Duluth. The new store is located in the lower level of the Bullion Center with more parking and a great new layout. That's not all. Lake Superior Medical Equipment has also moved their store in Cloquet. Customers can now shop at their brand new location at 907 Stanley Avenue, just a few doors down from their old store. Something that hasn't changed? The amazing customer service you have come to expect from Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Our friendly staff is ready and waiting to help you find everything you need in our two brand new locations in Duluth and Cloquet. Stop in and see the friendly staff at Lake Superior Medical Equipment today. Have a question? Give them a call at 218-727-0600 or visit them online at lsmedequip.com. In the meantime, keep up with everything happening at Lake Superior Medical Equipment on social media. Just search for 
Lake Superior Medical Equipment on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, We are back with Ryan Tischer, a well-known photographer here in Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, Ryan, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, your entrance and sort of uh, evolution from art fairs to where you are now with your own gallery. But I I had one nagging question that I had when I, that I've always wondered, are you any relation to whoever it was that Tischer Creek is named after? I am not, no. Um, My understanding of that, and I I don't know this factually, but someone told me this in passing one time, was that those Tishers were from, were Swiss, is what I was told, Um, and they worked for the Congdens. Okay, okay. And my family was from Germany. Oh, okay. So entirely different uh, parts of what maybe ultimately was the Tischer family, but uh, yeah, if there is If there is any relation, it would have to go back, way back to the, you know, Europe, Uh, centuries and centuries ago. ago. Yes, yes. So as as far as uh, you being named after that or, or being a part of the family that was named after that's not the case but that's another beautiful place in Duluth if uh, for those of you who uh, want to get up here uh, they've actually got a very sort of ribbon of park land that's set aside in Duluth for Tisher Creek as it flows down uh, down the hill and uh, sort of winds up near the Congdon mansion and I think this was all owned by the Congdons and then they gifted the park to uh, to Duluth I think but uh, lots of waterfall but we digress. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get right back now. Um, sorry about that uh, detour, Ryan. But it was something that I was curious about. So when we uh, before we took a break, you were talking about uh, doing lots of uh, art fairs and starting to to sell a lot of your photography. Um, you were sort of thinking you might be able to do this as uh, as a real living. And then then you've sort of graduated from that. I know that something took place that Duluth had a program that you mm-hmm. got involved in that mm-hmm. allowed you to show some of your works downtown? Yeah, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but it was the downtown pop-up storefront program. And basically what that did is it took uh, empty storefronts and paired them up with uh, aspiring business owners who were, you know, thinking about possibly opening a brick and mortar storefront downtown. And the hope is that you get your foot in the door, you try it out, it works well, and then everybody wins because, you know, the landlord, the building owner, gets a tenant and um you know the business person gets a business so oh that's really uh that's really kind of ingenious i don't i hope they're still doing it i haven't heard about it so you did this so where was the pop-up store well the first one i did was actually in the location of my first gallery so that was at five west superior street near right near the intersection of uh lake avenue and superior street downtown right right near the old tap house exactly yeah yeah okay i i remember going to that that location but when you did the pop-up store that wasn't the tisher gallery at that time it was uh, were were you exhibiting there along with other photographers or other artists or was did you get a chance just to have just your photos there uh at that storefront that was just my work okay did you actually use wind up in that same space then i did but not until two years later okay because the the following uh holiday i did another pop-up this time with some friends who were fellow artists and that was closer to the ymca and it was on one of the oh okay one of the avenues and found the foot traffic wasn't nearly as good there as it was on superior street right right so in 2017 i approached the building owner and ended up signing a lease and spent three years downtown in that location and then when that lease was up 
I also noticed that there was a location in Canal Park that was for lease. Right. Now, this is during um, summer and fall of 2020. Ah, yes. So things ah, are yes. shut down. Yes. Everything is just a mess. And so it was pretty rare to actually see a building come up for lease in Canal Park. Usually, right. before the other tenant is out, they already have a new one. Right, right. they found. Um, but it really, it worked out well for me because it became available the same time that my lease was expiring downtown. Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to go get to your, your new location because I'm assuming it's been a great location for you. There's an amount of foot traffic there. But uh, it, not that not that the corner of, of Lake and Superior was bad. It's a very busy intersection, probably the busiest in, in Duluth. And you were there for three years. So I imagine you were you were getting some traction there. Yeah, we got some foot traffic downtown. It's it's a small fraction of what we get in Canal Park. Yeah. And, in, you know, downtown is kind of a mixture of business people. and Right. And you know a few tourists and stuff but when you're in canal park especially in the summer it's almost exclusively tourists which are exactly my demographic right before we get to the new store you you had to take the jump from just selling your photography to really sort of becoming a business person as well now you had a lease you had more expenses and you had to open a a storefront and make it suitable for exhibiting your art so did you find any of that daunting or did that happen fairly easily yeah the transition happened fairly easily i would say just because i had done the pop-up storefront right you know um a couple times i already had a pretty extensive mailing list of previous customers from having done shows for you know about a little over 10 years when i first opened my first yeah yeah my first uh, brick and mortar. And so that was a big boost, just being able to to have people you can market to and, and get that draw to go into your right. space. Because if you're just starting off and you don't have any customer base already, that would be much, much harder to make a go. Right. Of it. Are you fairly savvy? I assume during this time that you had your uh, your gallery, well, first when you were just doing the art shows, uh, and then when you had your gallery, obviously social media was becoming sort of in the forefront of as a way to, mm-hmm. to market uh, things like photography. Did you start taking advantage of that? Was that sort of in your wheelhouse or is that something if, or are you like me and you just shy away from that stuff? I'm decent with social media. I'm not, I'm not a, an expert at it by any means, but my Facebook page gets, I almost have 10,000 likes now. Oh, that's great. So that's not too bad. Instagram, I'm a little bit less active on there, but uh, Facebook has been a really uh, useful tool to promote my work to people. Well, if I knew how to use if, if I knew how to use Facebook and knew how to like something on Facebook, I would like your photography. I would do that, but uh, that's beyond my uh, technical uh, expertise. Uh, but I I know others have that expertise, so I'm glad you're getting lots of likes. Uh, so COVID hit. You're you've you've had your uh, your storefront for a couple of years, and COVID hits, and as you said, things kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. So obviously, at that point, because I own a business too, we we stayed open because we were considered essential business but it was a time when no one really knew what the future was going to mm-hmm. look like. So that must have been kind of a scary time for you. It was. It was really scary because I got hit by a couple things at once. Um, to start with, that was the downtown construction. Oh, yeah. And I was that was the yeah. year where oh. I was right in the middle of it. And there were days where I could barely figure out how to get to my storefront, yeah. let alone try and 
tell my customers how to right. get there. So I just shut down. Yeah. Because it was, you know, I would go there and do work and stuff and open up if I was in there, but I stopped holding regular hours during that because, you know, between the construction and COVID, there was just right. nobody out shopping. Right. And the other scary thing was that all of my art fairs were canceled that year. And that wow. was still where I made over half of my income. Wow. Wow. So you had the double whammy, right? So you're already hurting from this, the street closures mm-hmm. due to the construction, which lots of other merchants on Superior Street were singing that same tune and right. no one I think felt like they were treated really fairly by the city in terms of just you know given a, some sort of lifeline by the city they were mm-hmm. just kind of said well you gotta we were pretty there. much just on our own right right so you're you're getting through that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel on that somehow because eventually the street's going to get repaired mm-hmm. then COVID hits mm-hmm. and no one knows <laughs> no one knows what the end date for that is and now you've got this and now what year are we talking about now are we 20 2020 maybe yeah 2020 okay. yep Okay, and so your uh, so your lease is is coming up, and a, a lot of people in that situation might have said, "Well, this might be a good time just for me to kind of put a pause on it, get out of this lease, mm-hmm. and kind of try to buckle down and limit my expenses uh, because the art shows are closed." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not what you did. No, I just kind of doubled down and kept working hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it was a lot of work to get the space ready, right? You know, and a lot of work to get the other space cleaned up. And so yeah. everything was shut down. I was just kind of hustling on my own and, and uh, you know, working and getting things ready to move from one space to another. And, and it all just kind of fell into place and worked out. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that it worked out. I'm very glad for Duluth that it worked out because uh, it's a great place to be. And I'm glad I'm glad it worked out for all the people who come to visit Duluth because they can go into your store. It's a beautiful store. Um, you're just uh, hit with this magnificent photography and it's an easy place to browse. Do you also have a workplace there or is it just really there just for the the storefront. The unique thing about our gallery is that not only do we sell the artwork, but we make the artwork as well. So I would say, you know, the front two thirds of it is is retail gallery space. And then the back third of it is for production of the artwork. Right. uh, We do all of our own printing, mounting, framing, everything happens at the gallery. Uh, The only thing we don't do is we don't mill our own frame stock we buy it you know we have it locally made and then we chop and join it ourselves but, oh you do okay yeah. so all of that for those people who were you know were looking to get some really really high quality uh, photographs of i was going to say northern minnesota and the north shore because that's what so much of your stuff is but you've obviously expanded um and there's there's uh pictures from all over the all over the country and even different parts of the world i'm going to have you talk about that in a second but for those people who um aren't familiar with where your store is is in Canal Park. Um, do you do you want to let people know exactly how they how they get there if they're coming to Canal Park? Yeah, absolutely. We're located at 395 South Lake Avenue. So basically, that's just a straight shot down, uh, you know, the lift bridge, right, basically, right. across from the Do It Sites building. Yeah, yep. And there's there's lots of parking around. You can either park on the street. There's a parking lot that you can park in and visit to visit all the shops, uh, including yours. People must love that versus your old store where parking was more of a challenge yeah downtown parking was constantly an issue yeah you know i used to tell people because the odds of them actually finding a parking spot were pretty slim so i just say pull up behind the nearest parking spot put on your four ways and be quick (laughs) and no 
hopefully they knew what they wanted or they were just coming to pick up a right a, a, a picture so would someone see you then if they went into your store right now is there a chance they'd see you or is that blocked off from from people in the retail if they wanted to like see you work see you see you uh, actually do some of the production I'm there intermittently um, we're open seven days a week um, my manager Jess there is Monday through Thursday and typically I work Monday mornings until at least noon and then I'll pop in sporadically as needed throughout the week. So I'm going to ask just a really stupid question, but there might be other, uh, some of our listeners who are as stupid as me. Take me from the process of having a picture that you took stored on your camera digitally to getting that picture into a framed picture. Mm-hmm. What, what what are you doing to get it there? Well, the first thing after I take the image would be downloading it onto the computer and then, you know, doing the digital dark room as it's called on the image. And my my goal there is, um, well, I think the first thing to understand, and you mentioned it earlier, was that whenever you take a photograph, the camera never captures it the same way that we see it. So my goal as a photographer and an artist is to then edit that image from what the camera captured to what my vision is and what I remember seeing and how I felt when I took it. So that's the first step is to edit it. And then from there, I have a 44-inch wide inkjet printer, archival pigment-based inks, and I print the images out on that. Uh, The next step would be that we spray coat the images so it's um you know a clear coat and that protects it because we don't like to use glass or plexiglass or anything like right. that so it, because it's spray coated the prints can be they don't have to be behind glass and so right. that reduces reflection it reduces weight it, you know less breakage when you're shipping right. and stuff right. things like that um and then the next steps would be either you know if it's a canvas then we build stretcher bars and stretch it if it's a metal mount then the next step is we take it uh into our clean room and that's where we uh apply adhesive to the back of it and then it gets mounted to aluminum composite and then we you know after it's mounted we we trim the edges corner punch it and then we create a backer for it either out of mdf or metal frame depending on the size of the artwork and then that gets adhered to the back of the metal with a 3m vhb tape and then of course the last step would be you know, putting the frame onto it, or if it's frameless, just putting a wire on the back. There's still quite a few steps, even though you're not having to go into a dark room, but you've got a virtual dark room. And, and what, what is the process that you're using? I kind of remember the old dark room where you're kind of letting it sit in the fluids for more or less time to get different, uh, you know, a, a different look for that picture. But what is the, what is the uh, digital dark room? What are, you, what are you actually doing there? Obviously, first I have to take and download the images off the memory card and then I view all of the shots I've taken using Adobe Bridge. Um, a lot of people like to use Lightroom. I can't stand Lightroom. I don't use it um, but I use Adobe Bridge to view the images, rate them, pick them out and then I open when I, I know there's something I want to work on, I want to process it, I then open it in Adobe Camera Raw and that allows me to make uh, global adjustments which basically means you're adjusting the whole image at once and then once I get that adjusted how I want it then I open it up in Photoshop and then I can do low Local adjustments, which are basically creating layer masks of different areas of the image that you can select and, you know, adjust the exposure, contrast, you know, color saturation, all of those things. Okay. So, so these are, these are kind of off the shelf th- tools that, that, because I've heard of Photoshop, I, I obviously have 
haven't, I suppose I've played around with it a little bit, but these are these are tools that a lot of people can use if if they just have a photography if, if they're you know as a hobby. Um, and so I guess it's kind of nice to know that those tools are still the tools that a, that a professional like you would also use. Mm-hmm. So if you go into your uh, if you go into your store now and uh as i said i I hope everyone who listens to this gets a chance to do it if you're in duluth uh, go take a look at this but you you've also got a website right people can go to your website and see your work as well yeah, that's correct. Uh, the website is www.tishergallery.com. I always associate you with kind of local items that are local, then, and a lot of them are outdoor photography, mm-hmm. the North Shore, Duluth. Uh, but what are some of the other places that you've really enjoyed photographing? Yeah, I've been kind of all over the western United States, vast majority of, of the different parks and stuff out there I've been to. So I've done a lot of photographing there. The other, um, as far as a worldview goes, I've photographed in Iceland as well and that was a pretty incredible experience. Yeah I saw some of that on your website those are amazing. Uh, How long were you there? 10 days. Nice. Did you go there primarily to take photographs or was there another reason you were going? It it was a photo trip yeah so it was it was it was a vacation that wasn't a vacation it was a work (laughs) trip. Did you sort of have uh, things in mind that you wanted to shoot before uh, you went? Oh absolutely yeah I did a lot of research beforehand on the internet Um, I bought some maps that had different photo places marked out on it and just kind of I like to go through you know in my notebook and I mark all the different places I'd like to go and photograph you know time of day and and direction all those sorts of things and so I try to keep that organized and and as I'm photographing on a trip I try to check things off if I'm fortunate enough to get the image I'm looking for. Nice. When did you go to Iceland? Uh, That was May of 2018. Oh 2018 okay do you have any other international photo trips that you're thinking about? Not right now. No, not right now. You've got plenty to photograph around here. How often are you out and about with your camera? Kind of hard to say because it, it comes and it goes seasonally or, you know, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, if I feel like photographing or not. Um, but I get out couple times a month usually if it's the fall when there's fall yeah. colors then i'm out yeah. a lot more you know but if it's a dead time where there's not as much beauty like springtime early spring here kind of mud season you know before right. the leaves are up and so i do less photography then than i would in the fall or you know the middle of winter right. or the summer i mean you've been f- taking photographs of this area for a long long time now do you ever kind of get sick of it or think there's just nothing left here to to uh, photograph or is there just always stuff that's going through your mind that hey I think I want to go there and take some photos and how does that how does that work well I mean there are a lot of places I've photographed a lot you know for example Jay Cook I've spent a yeah. lot of time there and my manager always tells me we don't need any more pictures of Jay yeah. Cook but I enjoy it you know and even if I photographed at an exact location before and like literally I'm standing in right. the same place right. you get different light at different times yeah. so it'll be a different image you know depending on on what happens um you know I get a excited to go other places and I wouldn't say I get too bored around here maybe maybe a little bit if it's something I've photographed many many times right there's always more images to capture yeah you know um, my fiance and I now live on the St. Louis River and every day is different every day has something different the lighting is different the fog is different the sun is hitting everything differently so it's every day is different there's gonna you could take a different picture there every single day and it, it, it would 
be different than the picture you took yesterday. So nature always allows you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's a guessing game as to what's going to happen on at any given time with the light. So yeah. you get, uh, a lot of times you get skunked and other times you get pleasantly surprised. Right, right. I, I know there's been a lot of times you've gotten pleasantly surprised because I've seen a lot of your work and uh, it's it's fabulous and I hope you keep doing it for a long time. We're getting uh, getting the signals that we're just about out of time here. I want to thank you for, for being here. Um, is there anything anything else you want to tell our listeners about Tisher, about Tisher Galleries? You know, just come to the gallery and spend all of your money. That's yeah, there you I go. There yeah. you go. That's a great idea. And uh, you make it easy to do that. But I've got to tell you that you don't have to spend a lot of money there if you don't want to. No. You can if you want, but there's there's uh, there's bargains there too. There's, there's smaller versions mm-hmm. of different prints that you can get. So there's things there to fit every budget, I think. Yeah. yeah, we have everything from $15 wall calendars and $50 prints up to $5,000, you know, triptych metal mounts that are 10 feet wide. So, and everything in between. So right. there's, there's something for almost everybody. Right. And uh, and if you love Duluth and if you or if you love this whole area in the North Shore, I just highly recommend you there. You go there because you're going to find some pictures of some things that you've you've seen on your trip to the North Shore or to Duluth, and you're going to say, "Well, I, this is a perfect picture of this, and this is this is what I want for my living room or my den or whatever." Uh, well, listen. Uh, thank you for being a, a great guest. We do ask all our guests uh, about what they like like to do when they're in Duluth, when they're not doing whatever it is that got them to this podcast. So what do you like to do in Duluth? Um, I I live right on the Munger Trail nice. in West Duluth. So I, I bike that quite a bit yeah. in the summer when it's nice out. Um, otherwise going for hikes. Um, even though I work in Canal Park, it's still cool to watch the ships come in right. and everything that comes with that. So, so just kind of the Duluth stuff. That's right. Yeah, I love the Munger Trail. It's fabulous. And you can go right back to your hometown. I can. In fact, yeah. my parents also live in the Munger Trail. Oh, really? Yeah. Do yeah. they live in Carleton? Yep, to the, yeah. From my house to their house and back is 36 miles. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Are they a little south of Carleton then? Yeah, they are. They're okay. near, near Pine Hill Golf Course. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a fun yeah. little course. Yeah. It's a fun little course. All right. Well, listen, um, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, it, it You've been uh, you've been a great sport, and I appreciate you trying to distill photography down to someone at my level. Um, I'm not sure that uh, I always uh, understood all the uh, technical aspects of it, but you did a great job uh, explaining it. It was just fascinating to hear your story. So thank you very much for being our guest. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Love of Duluth. Season 1, 2, and 3 are available now wherever you get your podcasts. All you have to do is search for For the Love of Duluth. Have a minute to spare? Leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We hope you are loving Season 4 so far. We'll see you next time for another brand new episode of For the Love of Duluth.